Great British Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by MTD, MFG and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. On this week's show, we will discuss the positive British manufacturing news from the last seven days and bring in a special guest who is James Brougham, Senior Economist at Make UK. But before I do that, I just want to mention Factory Now. The Factory Now initiative has been launched to help British manufacturers boost sales, collaborate, and reshore. New members are joining the platform all the time, and this week I'd like to welcome Insphere a technology company focused on developing and implementation of metrology data capture systems for high-value manufacturing processes. Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Morning, Joe. Uh, looking forward to, to this week's podcast. Great guests and some very positive stories. Um, despite what's going on in the world, hopefully we'll uh, put a smile on, on people's faces this morning. Indeed. Let's jump straight in. Aston Martin has launched another recruitment drive, quite a big one, this one. Absolutely. The car manufacturer is creating more than 100 jobs at its St. Aston plant in South Wales, and this is following the launch of its new DBX 707 model. DBX 707, which has been described by Aston Martin, admittedly, as the world's most powerful luxury SUV, will enter full production later this quarter at the firm's South Wales factory. And as we reported last week, Aston Martin is also recruiting dozens of new apprentices, interns and graduates at this site, and also at its um, headquarters in Gaydon. Uh, another recruitment drive, this time from uh, defence giant MBDA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the missile manufacturer is set to create uh, around about 600 jobs across its UK sites in Bolton, Stevenage and Bristol. The firm, which is a joint venture between BAE Systems, Leonardo and Airbus, was awarded a £550 million MOD contract last year to develop an air-to-ground strike weapon for the UK's F-35 combat aircraft. And according to the firm, Many of the jobs on offer will be engineering roles, including mechanical, electrical, um, systems design and, and software positions. So lots of good opportunities there for people to, to join a great company. And there's uh, more news coming out of our friends at Cornish Lithium. Yeah, I think you provided this update on your Sports Goro um, um, Twitter account. The Cornish Mingle Exploration and Development Company has secured a head-to-terms agreement with British energy company iGas to work together evaluating suitable sites where geothermal heat can be developed on a commercial basis. The firms will develop shallow geothermal projects in Cornwall that can supply renewable heat to industrial end users. Um, and they'll also evaluate the potential to extract lithium from, from um, geothermal waters. ICAS will bring his experience of well-designed drilling and operational management to, to the project. Uh, and the next one, apologies to all the listeners, Bentley Motors. It feels like we mention these guys every week, doesn't it? But uh, it's with good cause. Absolutely. There's so much going on now. They've, uh, this is the latest investment. Um, they, they've um, £3 million investment has doubled the additive manufacturing capacity of the company's treasure headquarters where all Bentley models are built. The state-of-the-art facility has been applied to a wide range of uses, producing more than 15,000 components. Um, in 2021 alone. The expansion will also enable Bentley to utilize advanced technology to create 3D printed vehicle components and even offer even greater personalization for its customer cars. And, you know, as you referred to there last month, the British Smart reported the highest annual sales in its history and announced plans to invest £2.5 billion transforming its proved manufacturing plants. 
Okay, Stuart, I'd like to take a brief pause on this week's positive manufacturing news to introduce this week's special guest, James Broom, Senior Economist at Make UK. James, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. How do you do? Really good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, just to start with, Make UK, we'll, we'll learn a little bit about that shortly. But to start with, can we learn a little bit about you, James, your current role and responsibilities? Sure. So uh, my name is James Broom. I'm a senior economist at Make UK. I, I've been with the organisation for just under three years. Um, uh, in my in my role as senior economist, my uh, my my chief responsibilities are, are looking after our economic forecasts, producing um, our reports and outlooks, and uh, most importantly, our quarterly economic outlook, um, which which. Uh, is a, a forecasting and a sort of quarterly look back at how the manufacturing sector in the UK is performing and how it is set to perform for the, for the coming quarter. Um, but also I work across a, a wide range of uh, policy outputs, especially anywhere where economic analysis or, or input is required, and uh, do a significant amount of work uh, dealing with, with government and civil servants um, on working on, on how policy can be adapted to, to best serve the sector. Wonderful. And for the people that don't know what Make UK, well, and the people that do, I guess, can you give us an overview of the organisation, please? Sure. Well, well, Make UK, um, as we like to say, is the manufacturers' organisation. We're, we're the leading representative voice of, of UK manufacturing. We have offices in London, Brussels and every English region and Wales. Uh, collectively, we represent uh, 20,000 companies of all sizes, from startup to multinationals. Uh, across engineering, manufacturing, technology, and the wider industrial sector. Um, we directly represent over 5,000 uh, businesses who were previously members of what we used to be known as, as EEF, and now under our new name, Make UK. Um, and everything we do from providing, uh, whether it be essential business support or training and championing manufacturing, the manufacturing industry in the UK, is designed to help the industry compete, innovate, and grow. Um, so beyond what I do, we have a significant business function uh, that covers HR, employment law, health and safety training, environmental and productivity training. Um, and all this advice enables uh, uh, our businesses and our members in the wider manufacturing community to remain safe, compliant and future focused. Morning, James. It's Stuart. Thanks for joining us and uh, thanks for the insight into your career and current role and, and Make UK. Um, Make UK has just published its annual analysis of the sector. Um, before we, we look at the actual um, findings, would you just give us a brief overview of the report and, and its purpose, please? Sure. So this is this is a, a an output we've had going for for quite a few years annually. Um, but in this this year, we've taken a, a very new approach. We've made it a digitally uh, interactive platform. Uh, in the past, it used to be a, a sort of a small fold out card. Um, and it, the, the point of this was for it to be very concise, uh, to inform those that might not be familiar with the manufacturing sector and its significant contribution to the UK economy. Um, and then as a way of setting the, the scene for, for our other uh, more in-depth policy work, just so that uh, there's, a, there's a real understanding and we can push the message of just how important um, the manufacturing sector is to the UK uh, economy. And so really, it, its main purpose is to, to serve to external stakeholders, but as well, um, across clients, internal people within Make UK, it's very important. Uh, it's important there for accessibility. It's important for it to be there um, so that um, everyone can understand uh, just where manufacturing in the UK is positioned, 
um, the types of jobs it provides, how well they pay, uh, how much uh, value it adds to the UK economy, and also how the, structure, the sector is structured um, through its subsector makeup. Well, thank you. Uh, and I must say, the, the way that you've um, published the, the information this year has been incredibly well received when we promoted it. And uh, the, especially, like you say, the interactive elements, I think it just makes it a lot more um, accessible to, to people who are possibly outside the manufacturing bubble. So, we, yeah, fa- fantastic uh, initiative there. So let's look at the, the key findings then of the analysis, James. You know, jobs, economic contribution, investment, exports, etc., etc. Could you just please give us an overview of what the analysis is telling us this year? Sure. And first of all, it's it's very very good to hear you um to say that because because we think it's um uh, a, a real success the new format, uh, especially as you mentioned that accessibility point that that anyone on on mobile or can quickly pull it up, have a look. It doesn't require you know having having something physical or need to be in person to to hand it out. So that's that's a, a good a good change for the future. Um, in terms of the, the key headline figures from this year's um, facts, um, we have, uh, I should caveat that the headline uh, output um, is different from previous years in terms of uh, billions of pounds, which stands at 183 billion. Um, but that is due to a change in how the government calculates its statistics and not necessarily a change in value compared to previous years, um, as the ONS Blue Book publication in 2021 took a new accurate calculation approach, which has adjusted a lot of the figures. Um, I think what's really important, and, and we highlight it um, significantly throughout the, the, the facts, is the amount of jobs and how well they're paid. So 2.5 million jobs provided um, to the UK directly by manufacturing. Of course, there's also an effect um, through the full-time employment multiplier, um, i.e. by saying that, I mean the, the amount of uh, sort of tertiary jobs that are supported directly by those direct jobs. Um, and that stands um, almost just under uh, something like two, so so high high 1.6, 1.7 in terms of the number of tertiary jobs uh, the sector supports beyond its own direct jobs. Um, and of course, 12% higher wages uh, than the uh, average UK uh, average UK salary. So the average manufacturing salary in the UK is 35,000 um, or 200. And um, the whole economy um, average is 31,000. And then the services average is 30,600. So significantly higher um, average salary than the wider economy. And I think that's really important in uh, dispelling uh, perhaps the the more ancient myth that manufacturing is a sort of old and dirty industry, when indeed it's one of the highest paying industries, uh, the most modern and most progressive uh, in the UK today. Um, other Other key pullouts include that 51% of the UK's total exports um, is good. And I think there's a, a, a bit of a mis- misunderstanding that um, that as a goods uh, economy, we're, we don't focus on that anymore, that we're, we're entirely services led. But in terms of exports, the, the slim majority, i.e. 51% of those exports is goods. Um, the sector alone is responsible for 64% of all um, business research and development in the UK. And it's responsible for 15% of investment in the UK. No, impressive figures. And thanks also for clarifying the, the output. Some people did ask that why, why I think last year it was 191, I think, from memory. And this year That's correct. But it's a different calculation method. And uh, when we drill down into the different sectors, what's it telling us about the different subsectors within the manufacturing change? Sure. Well, to set the scene briefly, um, 
the the top three or top oh I'll sort of go down the list a little bit the top uh, three or so sectors uh, by far and away the largest subsector uh, in manuf of manufacturing in the UK by terms of the gross value added uh, in sort of sterling value is uh, the food and drink uh, manufacturing subsector and then that's then followed quite a way off by metal products and then the mechanical uh, engineering sector then pharmaceuticals and chemicals electronics motor vehicles paper and printing. Uh, other transport, which includes uh, defense, aero, shipping, and rail, uh, rubber and plastics, textiles, non-metallic minerals, uh, electrical equipment, and basic metals. And now, what we have here in the in the interactive facts portal is we've developed this tool, and this is uh, historically very very dense data to understand. Um, but for example, if we look at food and drink, and if we're using the tool, you can click on that, and then you can see uh, just what uh, percentage of exports, what percentage of gross value added, and what percentage of research and development that specific subsector is to, uh, responsible for in the manufacturing breakdown. So in the case of food and drink, um, food and drink is uh, responsible for 6.8% of the UK's total exports of manufactured goods. Uh, it's responsible for 17% of the gross value added um, by manufacturing to the UK economy. And it's responsible for 3% of research and development. Now, by contrast, if we look at something like chemicals and pharmaceuticals, if we click on that, we'll see um, it's it and it and it follows. It would it, intuition would follow that chemicals and pharmaceuticals is responsible for 35% of all of manufacturing, sub, uh, all the manufacturing sectors, um, research and development, as it's such a research um, heavy subsector. And similarly, it's responsible for 15% of all exports um, of goods and 16% of gross value added. And so. Uh, what this what this tool does and the insight it provides is that, of course, everyone has a particular interest in a subsector, perhaps those that work within it, perhaps those that represent on behalf of those subsectors, and being able to have that quick reference to uh, the specific details to that subsector and how it sits within that manufacturing uh, overall sector makeup and exactly what that subsector contributes um, is, is very important for highlighting the, the strengths and the contributions those various subsectors make to the overall manufacturing's contribution to the economy. Absolutely, and all, all this information obviously can be found on the Make UK website, and like you say, it's interactive, um, which makes it a lot easier to understand and digest, um, certainly from the feedback we, we, we've got. Just final question on, 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 the, on the report. When we look at the regions, uh, James, what's it telling us about the, the regional breakdown? Uh, well, I think perhaps the, the, the pull-up thing, we've had some, some comments about this, is how the uh, manufacturing salary within that region um, compares to the region's average salary, so specific to that region. And now, in every region in the UK, um, uh, barring a notable exception, um, the manufacturing salary is uh, significantly higher than the regional economy salary. So, for example, in the East Midlands, it's 121% of the regional economy salary, so i.e. 21% higher. Uh, the exception I mentioned is London, um, where because of the, the services dense nature of the city um, and uh, those very high salaries in the center of the city skewing the distribution, um, it, it comes in at 91%. Um, then elsewhere uh, in the country, it's, it's higher. The same uh, can be said as well for Southwest, where it's marginally um, lower. And some notable standouts include the Northwest, where it's 32.1% higher than the regional salary. Now, in terms of that regional distribution, 
Um, we see where where manufacturing uh, also on this tool. We see where the employees, the, the spread of those employees. We see exactly which region uh, is responsible for how much output, um, how much manufacturing output in in sterling value they're responsible for. And overall, we can see um, which area of the UK is most export intense. So we have that map coloured that way. So we see down um, naturally towards the um, southeast, um, which is a, a very common port location. Um, we see a very intense uh, export intensity. And in some other places, such as the northeast, we see that a, a little cooler um, in terms of its, its total intensity. Of course, manufacturing and in terms of where the people employed, uh, where the, the, the sort of density of companies and density of people employed, despite being uh, quite a regionally distributed industry, uh, there is a, a nucleation um, within the Midlands area. So that's the West Midlands and East Midlands areas, uh, quite famous and uh, infamous in some cases for um, the automotive industry. Um, a, a lot of aerospace companies um, are, are congregated there. Absolutely. And, um, and, and finally, uh, sorry, just one last question. How does the UK compare with other countries, James? Question that's often asked and, um, by our listeners, so it'd be interesting to find out your thoughts and findings. That's a, that's a very important question. Um, and I think, as, as we were saying, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the core aims of this output is to dispel myths about manufacturing. And as, as, I, as I mentioned at the start, um, there is this, there is this uh, misunderstanding that the UK isn't a manufacturing nation anymore. Um, and if we look at that, that world comparison, the UK remains ninth um, in the world in terms of the value of its manufacturing outputs. Um, and in the past, when we've run um, sort of spot research um, in open surveys asking, you know, where do you think you had to place where the UK is um, in terms of its total manufacturing uh, prowess, in terms of, of uh, value outputs, um, you know, we have figures of, you know, 25th, 30th in it. And it is in the top 10. And that hasn't changed um, for about four years. Um, in, in, in about five years ago, it's uh, a little bit higher. It changes positions, but it hasn't dropped out the top 10. Um, and it doesn't look set to for a while with during this recovery and a strong um, growth in output. Of course, you have certain countries like China um, and then were long and far ahead in terms of the value output. But it quickly um, becomes uh, the case that the UK is very competitive in terms of its total output um, with other major manufacturing nations. And that's something that um, we really want to shout about. That's something that um, I think the UK should be proud of. And I think it's something that we really need to highlight to government um, to continue to remind um, policymakers and, and stakeholders that manufacturing is very important to the UK economy. And indeed, manufacturing, uh, the UK's manufacturing offer to the world is significant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, very well put, James. Uh, um, my my question really is obviously I think from memory we was, we've been as high as seventh ever in, in in the recent memory. What what do we do to get ahead of uh, France, Italy, countries like that? <laughs> what do we do to get ahead of France? Uh, that's a good question. Um, of course, one one that would sound like a, a broken record perhaps, and it's a challenge for for all uh, manufacturing nations, particularly European manufacturing nations. Um, it is the, the productivity challenge. Uh, that's perhaps the, the, the quickest way, the productivity puzzle. And I know that's been talked about ad nauseam. Um, so I'll talk in the short term about how manufacturers or indeed various um, industries in these various countries um, can best position themselves. Uh, it's, it's going to be about taking or, or with the help of the, the 
relevant national governments uh, making the most of this recovery period. And we're in a period where uh, order books are extremely strong um, and they look set to continue that way, but the supply chain um, challenges are extreme. And so we're seeing uh, very pronounced situations, not just in the UK, really across many of the, the European economies um, that if the, the industries are struggling to meet their order demands. So they're struggling to get the output up um, to a level to satiate those orders at a rate. Um, now, this demand boom is likely to last, but it won't necessarily last forever. And so we, the, the best way to take advantage and maximize growth in this period is, is to, of course, use the saying, not miss the boat. Uh, but that's easier said than done because those limitations are often outside individual manufacturers' hands, whether that be um, unable to get the labor because it's, it's not available in the market, unable to get the raw materials input because the price inflation um, has spiraled out of control, or indeed, uh, lead times are far too long for you to deliver to your customers. Um, and now manufacturers are doing all they can um, to get around that. But uh, the, 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 in the UK and other European countries as well, it's important that the government uh, not necessarily intervenes in any way they can, but they need to focus on removing any unnecessary frictions that may exist. Um, and of course, uh, slow customs and border processes, of course, uh, exacerbate that, uh, those frictions. Um, taxes, uh, so premature taxing, um, which we, we might talk about in a moment um, during a recovery period, uh, may, may turn out to be an anchor on growth. Um, so I've sort of gone on a bit of a tangent there, but it's the, those are really the things that are going to adjust that, that top 10 lineup, or at least influence it um, in, the, in the coming immediate couple of years. Um, is about the rate at which these individual manufacturing economies are going to be able to take take the most advantage of this um, frenzied uh, demand uh, period at the moment. Yeah, very well put, and I'm sure I'm sure collectively we can uh, we can do it. Um, but if we go back, if we leave the uh, the the audit at the moment, you know, what what's currently on the agenda at Make UK? Have you got any planned um, campaigns? We do. We 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 have. I'll focus on two. Um, two things we're, we're calling for and we actually will be calling coming up publicly um, uh, with this um, on Monday um, and we've been talking about it for, for a moment and we think it's ill-timed and that is the national insurance increase um, and so that's uh, that planned increase um, we see as an anchor on growth um, uh, we, we do understand the need um, for the public purse to be recouped somehow um, following two years of such extreme government spending um, but it's our view that uh, the, that's it, it's ill-timed and illogical to tax uh, the supply side ie the the labor side um, and it's astounding at the moment frankly that giving the challenges within the manufacturing sector um, for accessing labor, uh, which have never been worse in as, as long as research history goes back, because the ONS data series goes back 20 years. I mean, it highlights that the manufacturing vacancy is at four per 100, um, which is a 91% increase uh, compared to March of 2020. And for comparison, the all economy has only seen, while the uh, vacancies in the, the overall economy are, are high as well, um, they've only gone up by about 60, 62, 63%, something to that effect. Um, and so making it more difficult and more costly at the moment for manufacturers to hire um, when they quite literally can't get the staff at the moment is, is quite an astounding um, position to take. Um, it's going to be detrimental uh, and weigh on the challenge that already exists. Um, and we think, uh, while we do understand the public purse needs to be recovered, um, we think this is best done through means of uh, recouping that through growth. 
So through means of taxes on 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 growth, whether that be you know through uh, taxes on on output, on on value, and so on and so forth. But that way, um, the public purse can be recouped in line um, and commensurately with the the business community's growth and recovery. Because um, as it stands, um, this taxes uh, taxes uh, the manufacturing sector um, before they really have the opportunity to get out the gate. Um, and we think during this fragile recovery period. Um, that would be ill-timed. So we're, we're calling for that. Uh, that increases um, sort of temporary suspension um, until the economy is in a more robust position. Uh, secondly, I would like to uh, mention that the, the, this is uh, perhaps more exciting. Um, is You may recall a, a policy announced by the Chancellor a little while back called the super deduction. And uh, that was very well received at the time uh, in, in that chancellor's speech. It was actually when we did some field research, we found out it was the most positive received um, announcement of, of the whole bevy of announcements. Um, however, over the years, we've learned it's, it's fallen a little flat. Uh, I, that it's, it's been popular, it's been used, but there are certain pitfalls to it that make it just fall short of the mark of being a really excellent policy. Now, of course, to those that don't understand what the super deduction is, um, it is a above and beyond tax deductible incentive uh, to invest. Uh, so it's 130% tax deductible allowance on, on your on your on your first year capital investments. Uh, but critically, there are some exclusions, um, and those are uh, there. There are quite a few exclusions, but the chief ones are the exclusion to leased goods and the exclusion to secondhand or used goods. And why this is so important is because uh, uh, SMEs and how manufacturers in the SME space are much more likely to invest through these means, whether it be leasing or uh, in the used and secondhand machinery space. And so this policy disproportionately um, affects them. And it means that the larger companies who would be typically uh, more likely to pay cash up for new significant investment, they're able to take most advantage of this deduction. So it's, it's slightly regressive in that nature. Um, and so we would like to see that amended. But most importantly about the super deduction is that it has the real power and opportunity uh, to be a longer term uh, benefit to solve or, or a step towards solving the problem of systemic underinvestment in UK manufacturing, which has been an issue that long predates COVID and long predates Brexit. Um, we have a systemic underinvestment issue in the UK and in, in manufacturing compared to our, uh, our, our international peers. And we, we, we're calling for things like the superduction, indeed the superduction itself, or through some other permutation, perhaps under a different name. Um, to be brought back in the much longer term. Um, so, you know, a five, at least a five, 10 year horizon, um, as this will allow the, the widest amount of the sector to take advantage of this, to plan their investment, because in its current form, um, it was announced and it's only running for two years. Um, and of course it was announced and running for two years, half of it, half of which being amongst the pandemic where cash is tight and uh, manufacturers might not have the spare capital and indeed don't have the risk appetite to part with that capital at the time. Um, so many won't be taking advantage of that um, uh, because they might be unable to or perhaps they don't want to. And that's and that's a shame. And, and we think it has the real opportunity to step in the right direction. Uh, we see it as essentially cost moot to the state um, because, of course, any any deductibles that they're, they're giving to businesses, um, it's going in through investment, it's going in through enhanced productivity, it's going in through eventually enhanced GDP and, and, and output for the overall economy. So we see it as a very, very good policy. Um, and so we strongly, uh, we're strongly calling for, for that to, to uh, get a second coming um, with a much longer horizon. So better plans can be made and better, better effective utilization of it can be made. Um, and of course, uh, adjustments to 
um, just how things are excluded so that the wider spectrum of businesses can take advantage of it. And so it has um, any even effect across the business size spectrum. Yeah, it, the, the latter, it's a very good point well made. Um, there's a lot of appetite for, you know, you know, investments in the UK manufacturers. But when you look at the SME sector, some, some of these investments are a 10-year plan, aren't they? So it's as it's good as the system is. It, it does need to be long-term. You're exactly right. And that's, that's where the main incompatibility comes is between a, a two-year pro-investment uh, well-received policy on the, on the back of the pandemic versus a five to 10-year investment cycles. Um, so for many, it was simply shrugged off as that's incompatible with the, with our business model as 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 you know as attractive as it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what are the main challenges and opportunities for UK manufacturers this year and beyond? I guess. Well, we're unfortunately going to see more of it. Um, it's been it's been uh, going on probably for about two quarters now, and it's continuing to come to a head as as manufacturers' margins are under attack. And of course, what I am talking about is costs. Um, is input costs. Um, so in both material costs, uh, in labor costs, and very infamously at the moment, energy costs. Um, so in terms of material costs, uh, the producer price inflation has been going up at an alarming rate. Uh, it's at an alarming level uh, at approximately 13%. And um, we, we've, seen, we've seen through separate research, um, we researched what the tipping point for manufacturers would be, and that comes out at about 20%. So that's where 51% of the manufacturing sector suggests that a sustained, if, if that input price inflation gets to a 20% figure, um, then 51% of manufacturers say that their business would be unviable. It would have catastrophic uh, implications for their business model. Do you, do you know how that compares to the rest of the world out of interest? Uh, what the threshold for cost increase? Yeah, well, but well, both really. What 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 cost increases other other regions are seeing plus the the impact? Yes, yes, sure. So so the cost increase is largely a global phenomenon in which, to a certain degree, um, why uh, as I alluded to earlier, the government has, doesn't have too much power to influence that directly. Where they do have power is to adjust the frictions on certain flows of goods. Um, but the 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 costs on raw materials is a real global phenomenon. So so all these international manufacturing communities are facing very similar challenges um, uh, with their raw materials. Uh, labor is a slightly different one. So our labor costs are going up. Uh, that is being uh, fed from two things. Um, it is well, quite a few things, but I'll focus on two of them. Um, is first of all, it's now a uh, as people are saying a worker a worker led economy. Um, as as in the post-pandemic world, there's changing attitudes towards hours, changing attitudes towards early retirement, um, and especially seeing as manufacturing is uh, typically an on-site job. Um, it, it makes it harder in, in the post-pandemic world. The, the pool is often smaller for those that, that, that you're able to pick from. Um, secondly, uh, following the UK's exit um, from uh, the EU, this is particularly prevalent for certain subsectors. So for example, I'll pick out the food and drink subsector. Um, the added difficulty of hiring labor from uh, the continent um, is, is, is limiting the ease um, with which manufacturers can secure that labor. And that's particularly uh, pertinent for those in the food and drink sector during uh, seasons of, say, seasonal work. Um, I just want to touch on energy costs as well, because it would be uh, wrong not to. Um, they have been uh, soaring significantly. Now, many manufacturers are adjusting their, their practices to compensate, but um, uh, it's really just come to a head since many had to renegotiate their, their contracts at the start of the year. Um, 
quite uh, it's approximately a quarter. Um, if I'm getting that correct, quarter suspect that it will take more than two years for these prices to settle. And then a further quarter, I think it will take at least over a year for these prices to settle. So what that means is that the majority of the industry is, is really dug in and entrenched for at least a year of costs onslaught. And that applies across the labor market, materials market, and the energy market. And now, of course, manufacturers are raising their prices to compensate as well at, uh, at record levels. However, they're not commensurate to the, the rate of cost increase. Um, because when manufacturers raise their prices as well, they have to take in international considerations to remain competitive. Um, and indeed, while while other uh, international manufacturers are also raising their prices, there's a fine line between covering these rapidly soaring costs and immediately making yourself uncompetitive. But an amusing anecdote is um, many, many of our, our members that we talk to, you, you'll pick up the phone to a supplier, you'll pick up the phone to a customer. And you'll hear a double digit, you know, 12, sort of just over 10% price increase, 12% price increase on your inputs. That sounds fine. Put the phone down. So that's absolutely phenomenal um, that we're in a position where everyone's roundly expecting 12, say 10 to 15% price increases and won't bat an eyelid, um, which is a ludicrous thought. Um, say five years ago, um, you know, you'd be fighting over every percentage um, because the flow, the tidal wave of cost pass through, cost pass through um, in the industry is significant. And what's very important for the wider economy, and indeed the Bank of England will be paying a lot of attention to this, is the implications for consumer inflation and the, the eventual impact on consumers. Um, as producer input and price inflation is so high, it will trickle through into consumer inflation. Um, there already, already is very high consumer inflation, um, but it's that pressure that's built up in the system um, in the input side that means that that pressure is going to be there for at least the rest of the year, likely into the, the first half of next year even if the uh, more typical inflationary challenges cool down, um, that pent up inflation in the supply side where that pass on of costs is, is uh, trickling through um, really will, to use the metaphor, affect the price of, uh, price of bread for, for, the, for the normal person. Yeah, I, I know we said we wouldn't keep you long, but apologies, I've got another question. Um, what, what, what can we do about the energy prices? I know we're looking at uh, the green energy and things like this, but... And is there anything we can do on VAT and things? I know it's reduced for many businesses, but is there, is there any way we can go further? Yes, well, as as is as is quite talked about, we have we pay a lot more for our commercial energy um, in the UK, so manufacturing specifically, than uh, European manufacturers. Um, now there are those that call for us to mimic um, what some governments, uh, particularly in say in France and Germany, are doing with their with their energy markets. Um, for UK manufacturers, uh, I think there is a there is a there is an ambition that this is a storm that we'll weather, um, and I think there's there's not a significant appetite in the moment in government to intervene significantly um, with this. Um, I think they're watching it very closely. I think they have in their minds um, a threshold at which um, significant intervention will occur. Um, now, of course, with recent geopolitical events, um, that threshold may be met, and there might be need for for um, for significant uh, action from the government to to control and sort of intervene in the energy market. Um, as it stands, prices are extremely high. Um, however, with the input price inflation and the internal uh, intra-industry price inflation, um, it's it's being absorbed just about. Um, but it really is. It's it's quite fascinating. You know, when will the last straw be for manufacturers' margins? Um, because following the absorbing labor costs, 
absorbing material costs, passing them on within industry. And now from left field, um, we have an assault on, uh, on, on energy costs. Um, so it's, it's quite a lot for manufacturers to deal with. It's something that is being watched very closely. Um, I, I won't hazard a guess about what should be done. That would be too much looking into my, uh, crystal ball, uh, about energy prices. Um, but as, as is quite, uh, sort of evident, those, those manufacturing industries that are particularly energy intensive are, of course, um, at, at the, the, the butt of this, of this circumstance here. Um, as their proportion using a lot more energy, it's costing a lot more. And so that's actually compounding the issue within the materials uh, market um, as they have a proclivity to produce less or halt production on their energy intensive um, outputs, um, which of course exacerbates the issue we see as we've talked about earlier in this um, in our conversation about the limited supply um, within the UK and indeed um, globally for, for manufacturing materials. James, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an education. We'll have to we'll have to do this again. But really, really interesting stuff. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, my absolute pleasure. Stuart, interesting that one. Really good guest, James. Thanks for coming on. But but you know, fascinating insight. No, absolutely. And the, the the stats speak for themselves. You know, ninth largest manufacturer in the world, hundred and eighty three billion, two and a half million people employed in the sector. So uh, yeah, well done to Meet UK. You to, to publicising and promoting uh, you know that content to a wider audience yes let's get back on with the news this is an interesting one Lunas uh, it's ramping up production and creating new jobs for those people that don't know of Lunas just tell people what they do and if they can afford one of their toys probably can't afford one Um, but they they specialise in the restoration and electrification of classic cars Um, some people take umbrage with that but um, what they do is, 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 is extraordinary to be honest with you um, they're going to, they will be releasing more build allocation to, to meet the foreign demand um, for the state of electric plastic cars. Um, the company will also increase production capacity to 110 vehicles per year, which is a 50% increase in total build slots versus 2020. Um, a bit of background in December last year, Lunas um, announced the establishment of Britain's largest remanufacturing and electrification facility which will be adjacent to its current home opposite uh, Silverstone Grand Prix circuits. Um, and this will take the company's total production space to 130,000 square feet over two sites, and that will make it the largest employer manufacturer um, at the technology cluster in Silverstone. Fantastic. Uh, and Saran, um, they're about to open a new facility in Telford. Yeah, the packaging manufacturer is going to open um, what will be its third factory in, in Telford, and this follows a multi-million pound investment, which will create up to 100 new jobs. The site in Halesfield has added approximately 40,000 square foot, square foot of additional manufacturing space, and this will house its board division, um, as well as allow further investment in eco-friendly packaging technologies. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, that. I live fairly close to Telford, and that's not a manufacturer I've come across. It just goes to show, doesn't it? Um, speaking of new factories, uh, this time it's again pretty close to me, Birmingham. Yeah, construction of IMI Truffle Marine's new 50,000 square foot production design and HQ facility is completed at Birmingham's uh, advanced manufacturing hub in Aston. Um, the firm is part of IMI Critical Engineering, the world leading provider of critical flow control solutions, enables vital energy and process industries to operate safely, cleanly, reliably and more efficiently. Marketing speed now from, from the company. The firm will relocate from its existing site in Wilton 
and the media is expected to create more employment opportunities in Birmingham, which is always good, um, and also future proof um, the you know existing um, workforce. Yeah, and to finish with, Somerset as a new aerospace facility, doesn't it, Stuart? Good, nice one to finish on. Absolutely, it's good to, to uh, focus on the southwest. The new ten million pound I Aero Aerospace Centre is dedicated to innovation, collaboration, and sustainable aviation. And this is one of just a handful of aerospace innovation centres nationwide. It's officially opened in Somerset. Um, the project, which has been led by Somerset County Council, is a hub for collaboration and innovation on new products. It's lo- and it's located adjacent to world-leading aerospace manufacturers, Leonardo's site, which has been a um, Leonardo has been a key partner in this project. Yeah, nice one to finish on that. But as I say. There's plenty more news on the website, mtdmfg.com. There's plenty more news. Please do go and take a look. As I say, we don't have time to cover all in this podcast. Please download the MTDMFG app from all your usual app stores. Uh, if you want to appear on the podcast, drop us an email at podcast.mtdmfg.com. Hey, then that, reach out to us on any social media platform. Uh, a big thank you to Stuart uh, and James, senior economist at Make UK. But as always, the biggest thank you goes to you guys at home for taking time to listen to us. See you next week. Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter using at MTDMFG and at Jefferson underscore MFG.